everyone has, where you really get inspired to do something and you really want to accomplish something and you really have a great idea and you want to change. You want to change yourself. You want to change the world. You want to change the way people think about things. You read the Steve Jobs books as I did and you say, wow, I can do that also. I could also be that arrogant. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, that's the word. Sorry. Um, you, uh, you know, whenever you, you see things and you have ideas and... Um, how many of us have had an idea, an invention, only to see it later actually uh, be brought to market by someone else? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, because we have the ideas, we get inspired, but then we stop working. And the people who are successful are the ones who are not necessarily the most brilliant, most innovative, but the ones who work the hardest. So we're trying to figure out how to bridge the gap between ideas and implementation between what I call inspiration and perspiration. And I called that primarily because it rhymes. But that's the idea. How do we get the inspiration and, and lead it, how do we implement it and actually lead it towards action, towards actually accomplishing? Okay, so we want to figure out how do we do it, and if we want to figure out how do we, how do we get our inspiration and, and put it into action, we have to figure out what, um, why are there some people who are more successful at this and some people who are not, the majority of us are not successful at actually um, taking ideas and, uh, and, and mobilizing or galvanizing or uh, implementing and really, and really, and really change. So I'm going to pass out here. Uh, I, I seldom, seldomly do this, but every once in a while I have handouts. And the reason why I have these handouts this week is because it's particularly, it's particularly uh, current, contemporary, because in this week's Parsha, in this week's Torah portion, and in last week's Torah portion, we have... Uh, a sharp contrast between two people or two entities, one of them who took an idea and went very, very far, went very far with it, and the other one did nothing about it. And indeed, may have had the inspiration, but totally did not change, to change their perspective, change their reality, didn't influence them, it didn't go the distance. So I had this question last week. Uh, I was teaching a class, a teenage class, teenagers, and someone asked me the question, uh, the question is as follows. If the Jews, we know that in this, week, in this, in this parsha, in these, uh, this part of the Torah, we're dealing with the Exodus. Jews, the miraculous events that led up to the Exodus and the miraculous events that happened directly afterwards, Jews are experiencing supernatural occurrences. Uh, they're experiencing miracles. And... Uh, they do not seem to get the, get, get the message. They don't seem to be impacted by it. And this, this student asked me, he said, Rabbi, tell me, how is it possible that Jews experienced the supernatural events that happened in Egypt and still were able to complain and to kvetch and to, and to lose their belief or to, uh, or to repudiate the belief in God directly right after uh, they left Egypt? So I, 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 I took here, I have four examples uh, one, two, numbers one, two, three, and four. We're in last week's parsha, which is Bishaf, Right after the Jews left left Egypt, there were at least four instances where the Jews rejected or didn't fully believe in God. And I want to use this as the model of someone who has all the inspiration in the world—a miracle which should engender inspiration, belief in God. A miracle which, which should be used as evidence towards the supernatural, as evidence towards the guiding, supervising uh, creator, sustainer, infinite, right? That, that, that's what a, a miracle should be doing. 
There is the inspiration, but it doesn't affect who they are. It doesn't change who they are. So we have these four examples. Example number one, the Jews, even though they're right after leaving Egypt, if they run into any trouble, if they see the Philistines, they see a war, they're going to run back. Why? Because they don't really believe that God's, God's watching over them. Example number two, they start complaining to Moses, why, why did you bring us out of here? You should have killed us there. Uh, example number three, uh, the entire assembly of the children of Israel complaining against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They're, everyone's complaining. These people experience tremendous miracles and, and all they're doing is complaining. What's up with that? And the last one is, um, again, the people contend, uh, contended with Moses and they said to him, give, give us water that we may drink. Uh, they didn't recognize that they were faced with a challenge. So they were faced with what's called in Hebrew, Nisayon. And they just started complaining. And if they truly had the belief in God, they would know that this is a challenge brought upon by God and there's no, there's no sense in complaining. You have to accept it and you have to, you have to use it as a springboard for growth. So we see in, 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 uh, in um, sources number one, two, three, and four, we see an example of people who could have inspiration but not have that affect who they are, not, have, not galvanize or inspire or bring them to, to change. Uh, well, the inspiration doesn't inspire. It doesn't sound so good, right? But doesn't cause them to actually become better people, to improve themselves, to take action. Contrast that. Contrast that with number five. Number five is the first verse of this week's parsha, of this week's Torah portion. Vayishma Yisro and Jethro, the minister of Midian, the father-in-law of Moses, heard all that God did to Moses and to Israel, his people, that Hashem took Israel out of Egypt. So Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. He's a minister. He's some sort of priest, some sort of member of the clergy. And he heard everything that, that, that happened to the Jews, uh, that they left Israel, oh, that, I'm sorry, they, 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 they got to Moses and to, and to Israel, that they took them out of Egypt. Now, on the bottom of that, of that source, you'll see I quote, I brought Rashi. Rashi, the foremost, foremost commentary on the Torah. Uh, he says like this. So, so what did Jethro hear? I'm sorry, am I rambling too fast? Am I going too fast? Good? Good. Good? Okay. Yeah, excellent, thank you. So Yisro, Jethro, he heard something, and he, he heard that the Jews came out of Egypt. So um, I'm going to read Rashi. And Jethro heard, what report did he hear that had such a great effect on him that he came? He heard the dividing of the Sea of Reeds and the war with Amalek. And the continuation of this story, for those of us who do not know, what happened to Jethro? He said, oh, this is what's happening to the Jews. This is what ha- God's, God's watching over them. God's doing miracles for them. I am going to go join them. And he was the only one uh, of all the members of the nations who said, wow, look what's happened to the Jews. Look what God's doing for them. I'm going to go join. And he went and he joined, he converted, and he, he's part of the Jewish people now. So we see the Jews, they experienced firsthand tremendous miracles. Did that affect them? No, it didn't. Uh, or maybe it didn't do it sufficiently because it did not give them the sufficient faith that they would need to withstand these particular four challenges. And we see four times they failed and many, many more times throughout the ensuing 40 years that they were in the wilderness, they failed at, at these challenges. As opposed to Jethro, did Jethro see anything? No. Was he 
uh, an eyewitness, was he privy to what to the miraculous event that happened to the Jews? No. What happened to him? He only heard it. He heard what happened. It's, it's much less, hearing is less than seeing, we all know. When you see something, it's much more real. When you hear it, it's hearsay. It's hearsay. So it's not as impactful. It means Jethro, not only, not only did he actually, did, did, did the inspiration cause him to change, but the inspiration was even on a much lower level than the Jews themselves had. The Jews themselves, they saw it. It was real. It was vivid. It was tangible. It was in front of their eyes. And that didn't affect them. The inspiration did not lead to perspiration. As opposed to Yisro, to Jethro, he had a much lower level of inspiration, and that inspiration uh, enabled him or caused him or was the impetus to make him leave his family, leave his community, leave his country, and say, I'm going to join the Jewish people. I want to be part of this revolution. So this is, this is a picture of two, two people or uh, one person and a group of people, and they're, they're divergent in this exact point. The inspiration on one hand led them, led Yisro, led Jethro to go join the Jewish people, leave his family, leave his friends, leave his community, and leave his culture, and go say, I'm joining the Jews. As opposed to the Jews who saw it, it was vivid, it was real, and that didn't cause them to change. So what I want to do is try to examine um, the differences uh, between these two... Um, these two, these two stories and try to see how do we become people who, when we have inspiration, we, we take that the step further. Any questions? Yes, Jason. Oh, question, comment, I think. Comment. Uh, on, on top of that, it's not just, you know, taking the next step, but I, I, changed, I thought about your first verse, like, the first one you, that you quoted, um, basically the next verse or two after that, not only... We didn't go through because we were afraid of war, but we came up armed, and we're still afraid of war. Yeah, that's that's the, that's the following verse. The following verse said that not only yeah, did the Jews have God with them, but they were v'chamushim, and they were armed. Yeah, yeah so my, my question, I guess it would also be then, how do you also recognize, not just inspiration, but recognize when you have it in hand, in their case, they had weapons in hand, but it doesn't seem like they really recognized what they had in hand. Are you trying to bring, are you trying to bring up gun control? <laughs> is that what this is about, Jason? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, but that, 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 that compounds the argument. It means not only uh, were they fearful because they had God, but they, they had the, the power themselves mm-hmm. to, to quelch, which is the word that I invented. Quelch. Squelch um, and quell. Squelch and quell. I put them together. They mean the same thing. Squelch and quell is the same word. Okay? So I spliced them and made quelch. Anyhow. Um, so they had the ability to quelch they're enemies, but yet they were... Yes, that compounds the argument. Excellent, excellent point. Okay, so I want to I look at the anatomy of inspiration and try to figure out how it works, what makes people inspired, and then let's say how we take that and bring it, uh, bring it further, further, further to action. And it turns out, turns out that some people don't get inspired. What I mean by this is that um, when... When I when I uh, when I tell you we're talking about how to how to take the inspiration and bring it to perspiration, that accepts the premise that there is inspiration. Mm-hmm. Turns out that some people don't have the inspiration to begin with. So we're going to try to figure out how to get the inspiration, and now once we have it, how to not lose it. Make sense? Okay. So 
the impetus, the cause for, for, for inspiration is always going to be something. There's going to be some external event that's going to cause me the impetus. A stimulus, if you will, one time I said that, I'm not going to say it again, for, uh, for, uh, for inspiration. Um, for example, if you are uh, a smoker and, uh, and you go to the doctor and the doctor says, listen, if you continue smoking, this is the picture of your lungs, this is the MRI, this is what your lungs look like, if you don't stop smoking, you're going to die before you hit 55. Whatever, what would you get? A chest x-ray. A chest x-ray. Right? <laughs> this is what normal, this is what normal lungs look like. This is what the doctor would say. See this? This is normal lungs. These are your lungs. All the bronchioles, they're all messed up. You can't regenerate them. Right? You still have a chance if you stop smoking. Right? These are normal ones. These are yours. If you continue smoking, you're going to die. Okay? That is an impetus that can cause inspiration. Now we know, there's some people that see that, and they say, I'm not smoking ever again. Mm-hmm. Right? And they take the cigarettes and throw it away and they have a few days of difficulty, they quit smoking. We've all, had, we've all I'm sure we're all familiar with smokers who's had this, this meeting with the doctor. Inspiration, they said, I'm changing. Zell. We've all, we also are familiar with the other side. People say, eh, really? What do you mean? My, uh, my, my great uncle, he lived till he was 104 and he smoked three patches a day unfiltered. <laughs> unfiltered. <laughs> Right? What do you mean? Smoking doesn't cause, uh, doesn't cause death, doesn't cause lung cancer or a million other kind of cancers. And what they do is they deflect the, the inspiration. There's the cause. What do you do? Do you take it to heart or do you deflect it? The way to have inspiration is what I call self-application. When you take the impetus and you apply it to yourself. You see the picture of the two lines? You say, this could happen to me. You don't deflect and say, yeah, what do you mean? My, my, you know, my, my, my uh, Uncle Bob lived 108. He smoked three patches a day, unfiltered. And then he quit, finally, and then he died. <laughs> he quit, and then he died. <laughs> right? Self-application. <laughs> if you want to have inspiration, you have to take the impetus, the cause, and apply it to yourself. Uh, if you see an atrocity, if you see um, uh, on Facebook, someone posted once, uh, First thing popped in the head. Someone was posted on Facebook uh, uh, a picture of a car that went under some truck and it was like a don't text while driving. Right. Well, don't text while driving. You see like this fancy sports car under a truck? Oh, and they found, this is what it said there. A little gory, a little grisly. Grizzly with one S. Something to say after we had dinner? <laughs> This is what they said. This is what it said on Facebook, right? You guys go on Facebook after dinner. <laughs> they found the cell phone in his hand while other parts of his body were elsewhere in the car. Oh, don't text and drive, right? That's an inspiration. What do I say? Right? I can either say, oh my gosh, that can happen to me. Self-application. I, I apply that to myself. Or I say, what do you mean? How many, people, how many people do you think in America text and drive? And how many people die? Right? How many people? Everyone I know here, has anyone, has anyone here, is there anyone in the room who has never texted and drove, driven? Who has never texted while they drove? Okay, everyone does it. It's not that dangerous, right? You see, there's two ways to deal with the inspiration, with, with, with the impetus, with the cause. You have, the, you have something that could cause you to have inspiration. You could deflect it. Or you could say, this could happen to me. 
this could happen to me. Inspiration. If the brother of a good friend, of a good friend of yours, dies at the age of 25, suddenly, that could be a tremendous cause of inspiration. You could say, life is not permanent. We're here for a very short amount of time. I could die tomorrow. I apply this principle to myself. Self-application. There's a cause. There's the impetus. Right? And I take that and I I use the inspiration to myself. I say, this could happen to me. I'm going to live my life in a different way because I could also die tomorrow. Or, I could deflect it. I could deflect it. Self-application. We're going to be presented with lots and lots of opportunities for change, for growth, for, for, for inspiration. We know that Hashem always wants us to improve, to change. We can have that inspiration or we can deflect it. That's on a personal level. It's on a communal level as well. When we see something that happens to someone else or to a group of people, we have to say, this is my responsibility. I saw it because I apply to myself. Or I could just do away with it. When you're walking in the airport and you see, uh, it's always in the airport for some reason, but and you see um, those billboards on the side of the, uh, of the walkway that say, uh, did you know that 64 million people were killed in Darfur last week? <laughs> right? right? So you see that. So that's supposed to be an impetus, a cause for inspiration. Most of us just walk by and say, it's not my fault. I'm not responsible. The leaders, the, cha- the people who actually change, who affect change, are the ones who say, that is my responsibility. There's a story, Rabbi Noah Weinberg, of blessed memory, the late great founder and dean of, of Asia Torah uh, in Jerusalem, one of his big students came to him and said, to, and it came to him uh, to visit him at the end of his life, and, and uh, this is like a student who opened up an H branch in New York, Rabbi Yitz Greenman, Jeremy knows him, and he came to him, this, he said over, over the story, Rabbi Yitz Greenman, the student from New York, who himself opened a H branch in New York, I can put on the control a higher, please, um, said that he came to Rav Noah in 2009, and he said, hey, how you doing, how you feeling? Rabbi Weinberg was at that point very sick with cancer, and he said to him, what are you doing about Sterot? Sterot is the, is the southern town in Israel, where there's constantly uh, these rockets flying. What are you doing about Sterot? Imagine someone comes to visit you, and you, your, your student, your disciple, your beloved disciple, says, what are you doing about Sterot? What do we say? When we hear the story about what's happening in Sterot, we say, ah, it's not my fault. It's not my responsibility. Uh, well, I don't live in Israel. There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do about the, uh, the Iranian reactors or, or the fact that the Jewish people are just dissipating and there's, you know, the, you know, the, the disaffiliation and apathy of the Jewish people is just... Nothing I can do about it. The ones who actually affect change are the ones who say... It's my responsibility. I'm going to do everything I can. It's my, I apply it to myself. The world's problem is my problem. My neighbor's problem is my problem. Someone else has something to happen to someone else. I have to use it as an application for myself. I see someone die. I see an atrocity happen. I see something. I apply it to myself. The first step, if we want to, if we want to have inspiration, the first step was to be to learn this principle of self-application. Now, I want to extend this point a little further because... This sounds like a very spiritual uh, diatribe, if you will. I said, if you will, again, gosh. I say it only once. So what happened to that last story? Uh-huh. What happened to the rabbi? 
No, just the rabbi was going nuts at it, going nuts, saying, what do you mean? You're in New York, so you don't care if people say, oh, your brother, if your brother had rockets sh- shooting on his house every day, you would say, oh, what do you mean? What can I do about it? No. So what did it's, Rabbi Greenman do? Did he he did nothing about it, but that was right. a story, because, yeah. because if, you, if, you, if you know Rabbi Weinberg, that was his, yeah. that was his, actually, ironically, his yard site is, like, right now. Interesting. But this was his thing. His thing was, any one of the world's problems is my problem. That's how he lived. That's why he was always, like, upset, because he was always had, like, the burden of the world on his shoulders, really. He was like a no-nonsense, like hard-working kind of people. And we know that that's, that's the, that's the um, harkening back to Steve Jobs. That's a, a, a characteristic of a lot of great innovators, people who change, people who, who affect, affect the world, is that they, they are no-nonsense kind of people because they are focused, they're driven, it bothers them, whatever it is that they're trying to, uh, trying to change. Now, I wanted to, I wanted to um, take this discussion and, and bring it a, 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 a notch downward because I'm talking now about very spiritual things, but I think this, is, this even applies to, let's say, in, in, uh, in business, right? The, the entrepreneurs, the people who, the people who, are, um, who are innovators, who are creators, who start great things, new things, they're the ones who, it's, a, it's the same exact character trait that defines them. That is where they say there's a problem and there's a solution and I'm going to be the one to do it. And they have a dogged determination to, to see to it that, that, that whatever needs to be done gets done. It's the same idea. but The same principle applies across the board by all these uh, great innovators and people who, um, who uh, affect change. So that's just the point. So it's not just a spiritual discussion, but it's also a very practical discussion. You know, if you want to have a great business, if you want to invent a certain item, you want to bring something to market, it's the same kind of thing. You have to, you have to invest your life in it because it's, it's who you are. This is what you're trying to do. You're trying to do that and then you'll be successful. Self-application. Um, if you look at your, um, at your source sheet, it uh, turns out that this great idea, this idea, this principle of self-application is actually not my own. I actually got it from the Talmud. And if you look at uh, 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 number six, uh, source number six, it talks about the juxtaposition of two tractates in the Talmud. As we all know, there are 63 books in the Talmud, and, there, and there's generally an order, or the, 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 there is a, um, it was assembled in a way that there's a natural flow to, to um, you know, to the, to the books. It means one book goes after another book. You, you have the laws of property damage and, and uh, monetary policy and all those things go together and the laws of, let's say, agricultural laws are all bunched together. Uh, now, the tractate of Nazir and the tractate of Sota are put next to each other for seemingly an inexplicable reason. Sota talks about adultery. Nazir talks about a, 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 a section of the Torah that deals with a person who wants to abstain from wine. Abstain from wine for 30 days. That's a, they have absolutely nothing to do with each other. One of them is, deals primarily with the laws of contamination and the laws of sacrifices in the temple. And the other one th- then deals with adultery. They should have nothing to do with each other. But somehow they're juxtaposed. So the Gemara, the Talmud, at the beginning of Sota, of, of that particular uh, tractate, says, wait a minute, why is this chapter brought, right, uh, this book brought right after uh, the book of Nazir? And it says it's like this. Like Rebbe, as Rebbe taught in Abraisa, 
Why is the passage of Nazir, I'm in the second chapter, why is the passage of Nazir juxtaposed to the passage of Sota? To tell you that anyone who sees a Sota in her state of disgrace, anyone who sees a, an adulterous woman, um, or man for that matter, should separate himself from wine by vowing to become a Nazir. For it is wine that brought her to such a state. That is also why the tribe of Nazir and, and Sota are juxtaposed. The Torah, when the, the Torah talks about these, the verses of the Torah that deal with these two particular sets of laws, also puts them together. And Rebbe says, the reason why the Torah puts them together is because when you see someone committing adultery, you have to apply that to yourself. Self-application. You see someone who, who makes a mistake, who does something wrong in the area of adultery, you have to say, I want to make sure this doesn't happen to me. I have to apply it to myself. And I say, I am not going to drink wine. I am not going to lead a life of frivolity that may bring me to such a state. Our impulse or our natural reaction when we see something wrong or rotten by someone else, we always just blame them. We say, oh, what a disgraceful person. What a horrible person. What a horrible thing. This is disgusting. This is embarrassing. That's what we do. The Torah is telling us we have to apply it to ourselves. Something happens to someone else, apply it to you. This could happen to me as well. Self-application. That's going to lead us to inspiration. Uh, the Baal Shem Tov, and this is probably the only time you'll ever hear me quote the Baal Shem Tov, um, but he, he is famous to have, saying that, to have said that we have to view things like a mirror. Everything you see, reflect it back on yourself. Self-application. You see someone going through challenges with anger, you constantly see people get angry. Constantly. Everyone's, everyone is getting angry. You probably need to work on your anger. Self-application. What you see, you have to apply to yourself. And there's one more great story that I want to add to this point. And that is a true story indeed that happened uh, in, in Israel. There were a bunch of... Uh, bunch of IDF soldiers. Everyone knows what IDF stands for? Israeli Defense Force. Uh, they were at the end of their uh, three-year term. We know everyone in Israel has to serve a three-year term in the army. Uh, and they uh, were about to be let go and they were on this... They were on... Uh, they were like watching or they were at a watch post, whatever. And uh, one of them is outside, obviously, in the middle of the night, with his gun. You know, that's what they do. They have the alternating uh, night shifts. And his pals, they hear, in the middle of the night, they wake up and they hear him screaming. And they go outside and they see this massive boar constrictor, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. And it's asphyxiating this guy. And... He starts, he, he's turning blue in the face and he said, Tadish my Israel, Seish my Israel, you're a Jew, you're dying, Seish my Israel. And he says, Shema Israel, he screams it out, Shema Israel, Shema Israel, and miracle of all miracles, the, the, snake, um, the snake slithers away. Miracle of all miracles. Now this, 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 this is a true story, by the way. Uh, no need to repeat that twice. Based on a true story. <laughs> so this this soldier, this soldier, he like really took this 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 lesson to heart, and uh, and he like reexamined and he tried to take life more seriously, and he became Torah observant. He said, "I'm not I'm only, I mean, God saved me. My life is from God. I'm going to dedicate my life to Him." Became Torah observant, 
and uh, the rest is history. His friends didn't. So someone, so there was a story once that this guy was um, uh, had met one of those other people, and they said to him, "Wait a minute, why didn't you saw this miracle also? How come it didn't change who you are? How come you're not taking life more seriously?" So I said, well, "What do you mean? It happened to him. He almost died, not me." So that, that's the story. That is the, uh, the opposite of what we want. We want is when people encounter, if you encounter a miracle or if you encounter anything, any, anything that may be used as inspiration, you have to say, it could happen to me. It's a lesson to me. Self-application. Apply the things that, that you encounter to yourself. Uh, a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Where's that from? The man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Huh? It's a song? It's a song. How is that? No, probably not. <laughs> the man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Yeah, it's a song. Um, the problem is, is that we like to deflect things. We like to, we, we have, um, we have what's, what we would call like a built-in, uh, a built-in, uh, I'd like to call it IDF, Eye Defense Force. Means we're very comfortable with with uh, with the way we are, and we're very scared of change. We're always terrified of change. So therefore, with from Simon and Garfunkel, Simon the, boxer. Garfunkel. the boxer, the boxer, okay. yeah. <laughs> the man is one. Of, yeah. So um, this is the challenge that we're going to face when we want to have inspiration. <laughs> if we want to have inspiration, we have to recognize that our goal is to have what's called self-application. When you see something happen bad to someone else, you say, it can happen to me. That's number one. But we're going to have a hard time with that because, like we say, we're very comfortable. Change is never comfortable. And uh, effort is always, uh, we always try to avoid, uh, avoid any strenuous effort. So we're going to have a challenge in, in accomplishing this. Um, so our goal is going to always be to let the, the external circumstances of our lives affect who we are. Uh, okay. Okay, fine. So now we know what happened inspiration. Inspiration, there's two steps. You have a cause, an impetus, something bad happens, you see, you meet the doctor, you step on the scale for me would be a form of inspiration. Um, right? You see, you're like, oh my gosh, and you just say, oh, deflect it. I'll survive. <laughs> right? Deflect versus self-application. So, so, in order to have inspiration, there's two things. You have to have some sort of cause, and you have to have um, and you have to self, do the self-application. It, it's, it's my responsibility. So now we have the inspiration. We're determined. We want to uh, lose the weight. We want to change the world. We want to live life to its fullest. We have those. We want to stop smoking. Anything that we're inspired to do. How do we make sure that we don't lose that? How do we make sure that we take it to the, to the end, to the finish line, and don't, and don't, don't, get, don't get stopped a, 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 you know, a yard and a half short, which, is, um, which happened in the Super Bowl recently? Oh, well. Yeah. Okay, so we have the inspiration. The question is what we're going to do about it. So the harsh reality is, the unfortunate reality is that inspiration dissipates. Inspiration dissipates. If you have inspiration, it's great. It could last you an hour, two hours, five hours, or three days, three years. Well, not three years, probably. But 
Inspiration alone will not take you to the promised land. If you had this horrible episode happen to a friend of yours who died uh, tragically, you may be inspired. You may be fired up. And you may say, I'm taking life seriously. I could die any day. But if it's just inspiration, it'll dissipate. That's the guarantee. Inspiration has a lifespan. The lifespan of a goldfish. It'll dissipate. <laughs> inspiration dissipates. So if, to get inspiration, it seems like it's pretty difficult. You have to, have to self-apply. You have to come to terms with your own comfort of, of who you are. So, Rabbi, are you telling me that inspiration alone is not enough? Indeed, that's what I am. You could be inspired, but what will happen with the inspiration? It'll dissipate. Inspiration dies, it loses its passion. We get calloused and desensitized. You see uh, that, that, that Facebook uh, post of, of don't text and drive, and we see, oh, I'm not texting and driving, but that lasts two minutes, five minutes, one car ride. And we, and we, and we uh, like we said, we, we have this tendency to deflect it. I think of inspiration as, um, it's like uh, um, when you're playing Temple Run. So, um, has everyone here played Temple Run at some point in their lives? I have never had it. What? I hate that game. You hate it until you play it. No, I've seen it. Or you're playing Super Mario, and you get like a a power surge at last, like there's bars and it's going down against time, right? Or you get like a a magnet, so you spell the pull of the coins from every direction, right? But 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 it's steadily decreasing, right? So you have the inspiration, and it's great, and you can use it. It's fuel, to charge you ahead, but it's but it's but it's steadily decreasing, and you can if you wait if you wait if you wait too long, it'll disappear. So the first point we have to recognize that if we want to take our inspiration and take it a little further, is that we're, it's a race against time. It's a race against time. Um, big bold ideas that we have to change the world, they uh, they fizzle out. They lose their excitement after time. So the first most important thing to recognize is that it's a race against time. Now I want everyone to take a look at the last of the sources, because this is a fascinating story. And it's, it's, um, it deals once again with, with a fellow who became a Nazir. Uh, became a Nazir. Now a Nazir is... Um, I'll give you a brief rundown of what happens to a Nazir. What happens to a Nazir is that he... Uh, nazir means like he, he becomes sanctified for God, so to speak. He says... For a minimum of 30 days, he's not going to drink wine. He's not going to be around dead people. And uh, he's not going to take a haircut. Three things, right? It's, you just say you're going to be a Nazar for a year. But it's, you're accepting yourself to live in a higher, a higher plane, so to speak. And then when you're done, you cut off all your hair. You get a haircut. And you bring a certain... Uh, you, bring a, you don't have to do this, uh, Dana. <laughs> no one's asking you to do it. You get to drink like, lots and lots of wine. Well, when you're done, you're done. When you're already done, this is a this is a portion of the Torah, all right? You bring it. You bring a certain sacrifice when you're done, and boom, you're back to regular status. Now, the uh, the the rabbis always shunned people from becoming nazirs by saying, if God said that drinking wine is ait, if God gave us wine, 
Don't be more religious than the church. Don't be holier than thou and say, oh, I want to abstain from it. If it's permitted, it's permitted. There's no reason in being more religious, more observant, more uh, celibate than necessary. Right? We don't believe in that. We believe that if God gave us stuff to enjoy. So now there's a story here where the rabbi says, I don't like people who become a Nazir, but there was one guy in this one episode, this was... This guy did it properly. What happened? Let me read the story. Um, Shimon the Righteous says, In all my days, I never ate the Asham offering of a Nazir who became Tame. Means he, he never got involved with a Nazir. He, never, he didn't like them. Uh, except for one. There was one story. What happened? Once a certain man, a Nazir, uh, came from the south, and I saw that he had beautiful eyes and was good looking, and his locks were arranged in curls. Handsome devil. Uh, I said to him, My son, why did you see fit to destroy this beautiful hair of yours? Because we know, once a Nazir is done, they have to take a hair cut. This guy is gorgeous, gorgeous hair. And they say to him, the, ra- the, ra- the rabbi says, Why, pray tell, did you become a Nazir and you're going to get rid of your beautiful, gorgeous locks? So what does he say? And he replied to me, I was a shepherd for my father in my town. Once I went to pull a pail uh, with water from the spring, and I stared at my reflection in the water. And then my evil inclination rushed over me, and I sought to and sought to banish me from this world. He said, "Hey, I am tremendously beautiful, right? Handsome devil. Oh my gosh, I could do so many things that so many regretful things, and I could get my way, and the ladies, whatever." Right? He was handsome. He's like, hey, I'm handsome. And he felt this urge to do, to do things which are bad. Then my evil inclination rushed over me and sought to banish me from the world. I said to my evil inclination, Wicked one! Why are you conceited in a world which is not yours, with one who is destined to be consumed by worms and maggots? By the temple service, which is a form of, of swearing, that I shall shave you for the sake of heaven. I.e., he became a Nazir. He said, oh, I accepted myself to be a Nazir. So what happened? Um, immediately, Shimon the righteous continues, I arose and kissed him on his head, and I said to him, my son, there will be, uh, may there be more vowers of Nazirus like you in Israel. It is about a Nazir such as you that scripture states, a man who shall disassociate himself by vowing a neder as a Nazir to abstain from, for the sake of Hashem, this is what the Nazir who became Tamei is Hashem offering to eat. Basically, there's a certain uh, ritual that you can accept upon yourself to do. Hey. There's a certain ritual you can accept yourself to do. He's in the kitchen. There's a certain ritual which is shunned by the rabbis. It's a certain abstaining from wine that you could do that you shouldn't do but there was this one episode where the rabbi said, hey, this guy did it right. What happened? He was out, he was a shepherd, and he was out with getting a pail of water somewhere, somewhere in the field. He saw his reflection. Remember, there was no uh, reflective service, no cameras or, right? He didn't know what he looked like. He said, hey, I'm handsome. And he felt this urge, his evil inclination. He said, I'm going to get you. I'm becoming a Nazir. So now, a, a little bit of critical analysis here. Um, there's two major problems. There's new, two major problems with the story uh, that are talked, about, uh, talked, uh, talked upon by the, the commentators. Problem number one. 
why, why is it necessary to tell us this whole story? Why is it necessary to tell us that he was a shepherd, and he was out with the, the animals, and he saw his reflection? He could just say, I had evil inclination, and I became, I wanted to become a Nazar. I wanted to become someone who abstains from wine. Why is it important to tell us all the details of the story? We know the Talmud minces words. Talmud is in the extra. Why would it tell us unnecessary points of the story if they don't, if, if, if they don't add to the story? It must be to do add to the story. So what do they add to the story? That's question number one. Question number two is that this, this particular fellow, you can assume, he, um, he was familiar with the rabbi's disdain of Nazir's. It's a commonly uh, known piece of information is that the rabbis disdain Nazir's. So now, let me ask you a question. If you see you have gorgeous hair, right, thank you. You have gorgeous hair, and you feel, and you feel compelled, and you feel this urge as a result of your beautiful hair to do sin. Isn't there a more simple solution than becoming a Nazir? Isn't there an easier way out? Isn't there an easier way to cut your hair than becoming a Nazir? We know a Nazir at the end of a cycle cuts his hair. Isn't there a much easier way to cut your hair? Huh? Just go and get a scissor and cut your hair. If I felt, if I had this, if someone around this table says to me, Rabbi, listen, I just saw myself in the mirror and I'm just so beautiful. <laughs> my hair is just compelling me to do things which I don't want to do. What do I do about that? I say, okay, come with me. I get scissors. Snip, 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 snip. Why would someone, what would be the rationale for someone saying, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to accept myself, on my, upon myself the vow of a Nazir. I'm going to spend a minimum of 30 days abstaining from wine, avoiding dead people, all right? And at the end, after 30 days, because the ritual of that requires, ritual requires that you cut your hair. So that's how I'm going to cut my hair. After 30 days from now, I'll cut my hair. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does make sense? Huh? Because you double down. No. You're going to cut your hair anyways. So why not abstain from wine? But what does wine do? But, but his wine was the reason why his hair was the reason why he wanted to become a Nazir. Well, but then you get holiness too. Huh? You get holiness too. But the holiness, the rabbis don't want you to get that holiness. Well, don't be more holier than the, the, than the Torah requires just of you. Because the rabbi says it doesn't mean you're not holy. Okay, but I'm saying it's a good answer. Good answer. Okay, so one of the commentary, one of the commentaries makes a brilliant, brilliant analogy. He says like this. He says that these two questions really have one answer. Like we said earlier, we asked earlier, I'm sorry if I'm droning on a little bit. Um, I don't know if it's like, it's like late at night, I know. Uh, so like I'm saying like a lot of different points really quickly and hope everyone's still with me or somebody's still with me. Uh, that's why I recorded, so at least they're still with me. Unless, unless, uh, unless I ran out of batteries. That happened to me once. I was talking, I gave this unbelievable class, when is the Messiah coming? Literally, Unbelievable. And I was just spewing sources left and right, and I'm like, okay, at least if no one gets it, at least the recorder gets it. And then afterwards, I'm done. Oh, it died. Died halfway. So all I have is 21 minutes of it, but that's why I put a recording here. So in case I go on to one of my rant, rants, 
At least someone will, someone will listen. Okay, so we have the question. Why are all the details of the story necessary? Why does he tell me there was a shepherd? Why do we need to tell him that he was out with the, with the cattle? Why do we need to tell me the whole story? Make some comment now. Listen, listen to what he says. He said like this. This is what the commentary says. This guy was a shepherd. A shepherd shepherds his flock. Where did he shepherd his flock? Out and about. And he's out and about, and he sees his reflection. And he gets inspired to cut off his hair. Problem is, he's a 15-minute walk away from his scissors. The Tom was telling us the story, this is an integral part of the story. He's out with his flock, and he sees his reflection. He sees his reflection, he felt the, the evil inclination, he felt the urge to sin. And he said to him, wicked one, why should I give it to you? I'm going to die anyhow. I'm going to cut off my hair. Problem is, if you just say I'm going to cut off, if I just said I'm going to cut off my hair, I have to walk all the way back to my hut, get my scissors, and cut it. Inspiration has a limited lifespan. Right? There's a short amount. If you're inspired now, it doesn't mean you'll be inspired in, in, in 15 minutes from now even. So he says, what can I do right now to guarantee they'll cut my hair? The only thing I can do right now, right here, away from habitation, away from my scissors, how could I make sure that my inspiration right now does not dissipate and go to waste? The only way for me to do it is if I accept on myself the vow of, of a Nazar. That you can do even if you don't have scissors in your hand. If you're by yourself, you can always accept it. You can always accept the, 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 the idea of a Nazir wherever you are. Inspiration has a lifespan. Inspiration is very limited. It dissipates. You could be enraged, galvanized for, 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 to, to, to accomplish right now and in a few minutes, dissipates and it's gone. It's a tremendous, tremendous point, though. No? Hence, hence... It's not my own idea, so it's not like it's self-aggrandizing. Hence, the Talmud finds it necessary to tell us that he was out in the fields. It's important because otherwise there's much easier ways to deal with long hair, beautiful, long, curly locks, than, uh, than making yourself a Nazir. When 30 days later, you'll have to cut your hair as part of the ritual of, of when you finish your Nazirus, your Nazir period. So that's the first point. If you have inspiration, it's going to die. Immediate actions required. You have to take care of it. You have to act upon it right now. Right now. Uh, that's number one. And number two, I think that... Uh, well, I really think that's the point. The point is, you have inspiration, you have to do something better right now. Uh, additionally, we could say that... Um, additionally, we could say that there has to be an element of accountability. If you're inspired to do something, the first most important thing is to do something about it right now. To, 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 to act upon the inspiration as soon as possible. That's number one. That's the most important thing, crucial thing. Why? Because inspiration is going to die. Once you act upon it, you have to make sure that you act upon it in a way where there's accountability, like the Nazir. The Nazir has no choice but to cut his hair. Those are the two points. If... If you want to learn, if you want to learn how to take your inspiration and turn it into perspiration, i.e. to turn it into action, 
first thing you got to know is how to have inspiration. So that we said, the way to have inspiration is that there's a cause. There'll be something, something that'll happen, some, some reason to have the inspiration. Right? It could be, it could be by the doctor's visit uh, where you see the two lines. It could be by, like I said for myself, stepping on the scale. It could be um, any range of, any, of anything that could possibly cause you to, uh, to, uh, to be brought, uh, you know, to be inspired. You have that cause, you have to bring it to yourself. You have to make it that it's my problem. You have to, what we call self-application. You have to say, it's my problem, it could happen to me, I am responsible for it. Now, once you have that, you have to make sure you don't lose it. Because that could go very, very quickly. Inspiration dissipates. What you need to do is you have to do something immediately. You have to make sure you grab onto it while it's hot. Is that also a... Uh, my poor limited knowledge of pop oh, culture is uh, being brought to the forefront. You have to make sure you grab it while it's hot. Because your inspiration is at its, at, its, at its peak of passion the second you have it. And it's all downhill from there. You have to make sure that at the second when you're inspired, you do something about it right now, and make sure you have accountability. So that's it. Impetus, causation, right? Something called, You see a miracle, something happens. You see a terrible thing that happens. You get a good thing that happens. A cause for inspiration, make sure you have the inspiration, make sure you act, act while it's hot, make sure you have accountability. Yisro, the father of Moses, what, what happened to him? There was a cause. What was the cause? He heard something. What did he hear? He heard about the miracles. What did he, what did he do about the miracles? My grandfather once said, imagine if you were reading the New York Times. This is the example that he gave. You read the New York Times and what do you read? The Jews left Egypt in a miraculous fashion. What do you do? Take another long drag of the cigar, pina colada, and just read, move on to the sports session. Hey, it's Super Bowl Sunday. What do you mean? It's, it's Super Bowl week. There's a lot of important things happening. What happened with, uh, um, with, uh, with, uh, with my stocks? What's happened with HLF? What's going to happen? Uh, what's going to happen with uh, know, the, uh, the obituary? Oh, the obituary section. Who reads that? Um, <laughs> Yeah, we know that. These are tremendous papers. I love reading the New York Times, and I love reading the Wall Street Journal, um, which I, um, unfortunately, I don't get the New York Times, but whenever I do, I love reading it. And it's full of interesting information, and, and, and it's, it's stimulating. But, and if I encountered that, that, that story, the Jews left Egypt in miraculous fashion, what would I do? Unbelievable story. Wow. And move on. That's what most of us would do. We deflect it. We say, okay, great. Yisra was the only one who really heard it. He heard something. He says, wow, this is real. This is amazing. I want to join it. I want to be inspired as well. I want to be part of the team. I want to join the Jewish people. Well, he also knew Moses. Well, he had a, right. He had a, uh, he, he, uh, he had an in. Yeah, but if you, but yeah, but the the person. He's like, saying, I know that guy. That guy's a follower. I'm going to go and follow him. Like, I know. Yeah, but, but I'll tell you conversely. Uh, for those of us who are sons-in-law, um, that may be a detracting factor. Because who wants to join the group where your son-in-law is in charge? You have to be subjugated to him. <laughs> yeah, but also, he was coming from a place where he was the leader. Like he was the yeah, because he gave a up priest, a lot. Because yeah. he said, this is real. But he knew also that he was a prince. Like, he knew all yeah, of these things. That's so. true, that's true. That, that's true, but... Uh, Maybe that brings it a little bit closer on, but there's still room for saying, wow, amazing story, and I'm going to live my life. 
He had the inspiration, he had the opportunity to have the inspiration, he said, I'm going to do something about it. I'm not going to read it and flip on to the sports section. I'm going to do something, I'm going to apply it to myself. The Jews, the, the, the Jews, they were there, they saw the same, they experienced the miracles in a much more vivid fashion than Yisro did. And still, they did not take the lesson to heart. And still, they had the uh, ability to reject God in four different episodes, four different stories, right after they left Egypt. They were not impacted, even though they saw it, because they probably didn't apply it to themselves. Or maybe they did, but they lost it while it was hot. They didn't act upon it. They didn't cement it. They didn't solidify it. They didn't ensure that they retain it. So that's the thing. We will encounter causes for inspiration. We will have the opportunities. Everyone has the opportunities. Uh, and like, our, and like, and like um, I, I think that you know, we all, we've all seen the Facebook uh, posts. We've all had the stories of tragedy, unfortunately, happen to people that we know, we know and love. We've all experienced things which could be harbingers or... Um, uh, springboards for us to become better people or for us to change the world or for us to, heck, this class could be a class where you're saying, wow, I could really do it. You'll be inspired. What's going to happen? You walk out the door, you get in your car, you put on uh, the radio, and that's it. It's, it's gone forever. And now I know that this, this personal story, uh, I was once, uh, uh, my grandfather, he was a big rabbi in Israel, vaunted, venerated, I'm the sign of the uh, the prominent rabbinic family. Um, yeah, self-application. So he, I was once with my grandfather. <laughs> I was once with him where he gave, he gave a talk about prayer. And for those of you who heard my prayer class, I may or may not have plagiarized a lot of what he said. But anyhow, he talked about prayer and he talked about it. He talked about it right before you heard my talk about prayer, Right. He talked about it right before prayer. Like, it was like between a mincha and a mire. He gave a talk about prayer. So I said to him after, I said, I said to him, Saba, I said, you probably, those people just, they prayed in such a different way right after you spoke about prayer. He said, eh, no, they didn't. They didn't. He was always, he was a very pessimistic, maybe we could call that realistic person. Um, because he understood this, that you could have all the inspiration in the world, but the second you walk out of this door, it's gone. So, um, you know, we're all presented with lots of opportunities for inspiration. Um, most of it we try to deflect. Um, but even that that we grab onto, let's try to find a way to, to take the inspiration and, and try to act upon it in a little bit. Just one small thing. So if, if anyone here is inspired tonight to try to change the world or change themselves or to better, the, better themselves, if you really are inspired, what you should do is before you leave here, say, what can I do about it? Immediate action. Don't wait to drive home to get your scissors. Because you know why? If you wait to... Well, this is obviously... Um, it's not literally scissors, but that's the example. Like, don't wait till you say, okay, you know what? I'll take care of it then. Because the second then comes, the inspiration will be gone. So if you're inspired, if you're inspired in any way, what you've got to do is act upon it right now. Before you leave my house... Before you leave the torch, the torch talk center, which is the name of this house on, on Facebook. Before you do, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to cement it. I'm going to cement the inspiration. That's the idea. We're going to have causes for inspiration. 
we have to uh, self-apply it. But once you self-apply it and you're a lot, you, you, you're, you're aflame with passion to do something, immediately parlay that into action. Immediate action. Don't wait till you walk home to get the scissors because by the time you walk home to get the scissors, inspiration will be gone. Anyone has any questions? Jonathan. But then when you say you're talking about, you have mentioned very, very briefly that I would say accountability, yes. It means accountability, well, well, but also not to take on too much. For sure. Because, for sure, but, you know, just, just kind of take the time. Um, uh, for sure, but uh, within reason. It's, uh, yeah. You know, everyone has their own challenges, and everyone has their own areas they need to work on, everyone has their own areas that they can really affect the world and change the world and change themselves and change the community. Um, and obviously, they have, they have to do within reason. That's a different discussion. But the point of tonight is, is that if, if there's two words we take, we take out of it, or two ideas, it's the idea of self-application. We apply things that happen around us. We take, we take the inspiration and apply it to ourselves. There's, there's going to be an impetus for inspiration. I'm going to make it apply to myself. It's my problem. What am I doing about stay rote? Right? That's number one. And number two... <laughs> Immediate action. If you have the inspiration, you have a very, 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 very short amount of time to make that, to, to, to take that inspiration, to begin to perspiration, to make it last. That's why to you make write it, it down. What? That's why you write it down. Yeah, but write, write it down. It's like you read it and it, it loses its, its life. Should we be clever and say that sometimes perspiration leads to inspiration? Like the work that we put into it and the actions that we take can inspire well, ourselves and others to be clever? I agree. I agree. I agree to that point. Um, so for sure. To work hard to get what you want. Know. True. Yeah. True. Perspiration leads to so work most of So, so that's the idea. Is any further questions? I have a comment. Yes, no, comments no. or comments. Just say questions or comments. She got Jeremy. No, so I agree with with a, lot, with a lot of what you said, and I thought about some of that stuff before. Like, why is it that? we sort of think we're going to accomplish certain things in our lives and we just don't get around to it. So you mentioned a lot of good, a lot of things that are definitely true about that. And I think another thing that often happens is we have these big ideas for ourselves and a lot of times what gets in the way of us accomplishing that is that it's this like big project in our minds and we, we're like, yeah, like, okay, like, yeah, I want to do that, but you know, I don't have time for that right now because it's this big project and then we'll put it off for tomorrow and then it keeps happening and it just never, ever gets done. And what, so I think one thing is whenever you have like one of these moments where you want to accomplish something, you need to break it down a little bit into like accomplishable tasks. Like, oh, I want to start this business. Like, I want to get it done. But just like starting this business is like this like a huge daunting task that you'll never actually. So you need to break it up into like little tasks where oh, like you know, I need to think of the, the name for my business. I need to think of like who I want to work. Like if you break and you need to break it up into more manageable tasks to actually have progress be attainable as opposed to this just like daunting idea in your mind. I think that's something too. So let's keep yeah. going. Um, um, well, I agree. I think what he said is good too in that I think a lot of times we procrastinate but like we, we make, take the definition wrong. So the way I see like learn to see it is that like procrastination is just our fear of impulsive having to make the decision right now which then stops us from doing anything at all. But like if we, people instead of like do what he just says, like take it, break it down slowly, and then instead of thinking, when am I going to finish it, rather think like, when am I going to get back to it, or when will I come to this part, then mm -hmm. you can like make, or accomplish a lot more, mm -hmm. because you won't have that fear anymore of that. Uh, 
X, Y, and Z or everything. Mm-hmm. What well, the the Mishnah in Perkevot says, Imlo Achshav Ematai. Means if not now, when? Means you're not going to do it now, when are you going to do it? That's the thing that goes, together, it goes well with your points. Um, but, um, so, so that's that. Is there any further questions or comments? I have a question. Yes. This is kind of going off on another end of sure. it. Sure. Okay, so you get that inspiration, you follow through, you're accountable, you know, you're accountable to others, and you're doing it, and you do it for a couple of years or whatever, and people start calling you like a zealot or something because you believe that, like, hey, you actually may change the world. So like how do you, well, every, every, per, every person has every person that has ever really changed the world has been called a lunatic at some point. Yeah. And, that, and who here? Yes. And you know what? But when the history books are written, the person who calls you a lunatic won't be there. But you will be there. You know? That's the way it is. Anyone who really wants to wants to promote, wants to engender, foster change, they're gonna be said, What do you mean? We're so used to the way it is now. You're gonna change that? And they're called they're called the Mashuganas, they say in Yiddish. Um, and but that's that's the way it is. And if we just live our lives for the social acceptance, right? Then 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 who are we? We're just a puppet of what everyone else wants us to be, right? And if I'm scared, what they're going to think about me? What am I going to think about myself if I don't do what what I know I could do? Right. So that's so that's the thing, you know. Um, which is, but I agree to your point. I think it's a very very strong because it can push you towards the. Well, maybe you just won't be as into it as you were. It'll. I mean, it could. It's like the evil. Yeah, it dampens. Like it, it, damp- it, it dampens. It dampens. Right. It dampens your point. I like. I have a friend, for example, who wanted to start like start his own business, and uh, and he did. He started his own business. I was like, "What do you mean? You're an, you're an engineer. You you could just work for someone and get paid a steady salary and try to market your own product." And he still hasn't made any sales. But he, he says, "So what?" <laughs> And it probably helped that the person that the main detractor was his dad, but that probably helped a lot um, because people love to go against their dad, but not against what their friends think. Mm-hmm. I, dad or mom, right? Of parents, but 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 that's they, so everyone's gonna face social pressure, and and you know that that's the reality. That's the reality of, of, of you know. Do you want do you want to be great? Do you want to be big? Do you want to think big? So then you'll have to you'll face social pressure. You want to do what everyone else does? Go with the flow. And you won't face no obstacles, and you may live a wholly unremarkable life, Jason. And those qualities are jealous. Jealous because they can see potential in others. Yeah. I, I was thinking about the story. I'm like that. It reminded me of the story of, of Joshua and the spies, and everything. The whole people says they was too scared to go to the land of Israel. You got ten of the spies who said, "Don't go there. You're going to get crushed." And yet one guy says, ah, "I think we're going to be okay going in here." And uh, everyone else dies in the wilderness, and he gets to go in there. And he gets to be basically the leader of the Jewish people after Moses is done there. I mean, he kind of sees that moment and said, I'm not scared, we're, we're going to be okay. And he's the only one that ended up okay. Yeah, I think, I think that's, another, that's one example. Another great example in Jewish history is the story of Abraham. Abraham lived, for us, we can't imagine a paganistic life. It seems silly when people would just really have these figurines in their house that they would just totally prostrate themselves to. It's silly, right? We know it's silly. We can prove it's silly. It's, it's, it's apparently silly. But there were times where that was, everyone was like that. And the idea of an infinite, invisible God who's not bound by time and space and, and has creator, sustainer, supervisor of, of, of the entire universe, that idea was totally out there. And Abraham faced tremendous tremendous social pressure to drop that silly notion. Uh, but now, you know, you know, looking back, we see that he, he's right, they're fools, and, and, and we're only here because of Abraham's, you know, Abraham's determination 
despite all the social pressure, to do what he knows he could do and what he knows is right. So, but social, but, but it's, an, it's a good point, I think, to keep in mind that to know that any time you're going to actually accomplish, you're going to change yourself, you're going to change the community, you're going to change, uh, you know, the world, you're going to face the social pressure. So it's a good thing to know that and know that's what you're up to. It's not an easy thing to change the world. Uh, it's not an easy thing. When you can, it's too hard. When you can, You're right, Jesus. That's my guy, huh? He's like me. He listens when he's playing these games. <laughs> That's that, everyone. I love you all. See you all next week. Anyone has any further questions or comments? Good to go.